Okay, though, we're going to continue reading in Colossians. If you need a Bible, if you put your hand up, one of the stewards will bring you one. And we're going to be reading Colossians 3. And we're going to be starting at verse 8, going to verse 17. If you have a church Bible, you need page 1184. So if you've just been given a church Bible, that's page 1184, and it's Colossians chapter 3, and I'm starting at verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there are no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you very much, Naomi. Um, My name is Morris. I'm one of the leaders of the church here. I'll be walking us through that passage for the next few minutes, so do keep it open. I'll just pray for us as we start. Lord, we do ask that as we read your word, you would speak to us and change us and that your spirit would move and show us the truth and help us be obedient to the Lord Jesus. And we thank you. He's the mighty, mighty king. And we pray that you will help us see his glory and submit ourselves to him happily today. In Jesus name. Amen. Um, If you have small children in your family, or you help with maybe a children's group of church, you'll be aware of this phenomenon. There's a particular age where children just cry for no reason. Something is upsetting to them, even though it's not upsetting. There's a whole website called Board Panda, uh, which gives examples of this. I've loved looking at it this week. This is one of my favourites. You you might not be able to see. There's a little girl like lying on the floor face down, and it's saying, why is she crying? Because she met Barack Obama. (laughs) And I love the way he's just standing there like, what What is going on here? Um, This one was very familiar to us in our family. He doesn't want to go, even though we've repeatedly told him we're not going anywhere. (laughs) I love that. That is like what it's like at that age. It's like, please accept the truth. You do not need to be upset about this. And yet, there they are. 
Well, I remember once in a particularly tense and emotional church leaders meeting, uh, I say that, there was a particularly tense and emotional individual in the meeting, uh, saying we should pray, and one of the other elders of the church beginning his prayer by saying, God, we're just children. And I think that's exactly what we often are like, even mature Christians. We're like this child. We're crying and screaming. We're tense and angry because we think we're going somewhere, even though God said repeatedly, we're not going anywhere. You're safe where you are. We've been seeing here in Colossians that God promises that if we trust Jesus, we are totally accepted. We are without accusation. Our old self is cut off and thrown away. All the ways we know we can't do the right thing, and that's a long list. All the things I knew I get wrong, they're all nailed to the cross with Jesus. And that should lead to a life of confidence, not worrying about whether I'm getting it right or wrong, and joy. And any command, therefore, that God gives us is not a boring rule to follow, an exam to be measured against, but a life overflowing with thankfulness. That's the way Colossians keeps describing it. And we can enjoy that amazing status and welcome by doing things that God says we should do. Last week, Paul talked about uh, set your hearts and set your minds on this unbreakable union with Jesus. You know, think about it and love that fact you're connected that way to God. That will transform your life. He said, don't let, therefore, anyone disqualify you. Don't let anyone shake your confidence in that closeness to God. Don't let anybody tell you we're going somewhere when we're not. Don't let anyone worry you so you are crying or upset and are worried because Jesus has you united to him. But let's be honest, many of us are not feeling it. We are down or sad or discouraged or complaining or grumbling about something. We come to church today and we've sung some amazing words this morning, haven't we? About God, what he's like and the the redemption he's given us. But you're sitting there thinking, I'm just not going to let that get into my heart. I'm going to, you know, scroll through my phone instead or look at the ceiling. You know, someone from church contacts you and says, oh, we'd love you to come along to this. Or would you like to join into this? I'm not going to take that as an invitation to grow, but as a threat and a judgment as to how good a Christian I am. And that's weird behaviour. Because Jesus... Paul says, don't let anyone disqualify you. You don't need to do that. Or through the day, each day we're all facing challenging things, aren't we? You think, if I pause to remember and pray and thank God and set my heart on mind on things, that would totally transform the way I was during the day. But I'm not going to do it because actually I sort of want to be annoyed through a tantrum and lie on the floor. That's what we're like, isn't it? So he said, don't let anyone disqualify you. The key verse in this passage we're looking for today, and the key word is let, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. Let this unbreakable rightness with God, let it in to rule you. Now, my heart is a bubbling mess of worries and concerns, 
thinks I, thinks I'm carrying, thinks situations that are out of my control. Let the peace of Christ rule there. Or he also says, verse 16, let the message dwell richly. This message has amazing power to move into your life, to dwell in your life and transform everything. But let it in. Let it move in and enrich your heart. This looks like the practical bit of the book, describing what this life of knowing and heart and desires and thoughts said on that message looks like. So it is practical, but we just need to be clear. It is all about letting this true message into your heart. It's not like, oh, I've told you the doctrine bit now, now I can tell you things to do. He's saying, if this is true, and you will let it in, this is how it will change your life. Here's the first thing we see. Self, words. I once worked with someone a long time ago, a Christian, who used to come into meetings and be rude and bad-tempered with everybody. Or she would just sit in silence and glare at everyone. Undoubtedly, some other people in those meetings were, were irritating. I mean, I was there too. Some of them were annoying. But eventually someone said to her, listen, behaving this way is totally out of order. You can't come into a meeting and behave like this. And she said, listen, I can either come to meetings and be this way or not come at all. It's up to you. This is just me. Do you want me here or not? Now, she's simply been schooled in 21st century Western culture. You know, you do you. No one can expect you to be anything except your authentic self. She was actually demonstrating, she didn't realise, what total rubbish that is. If you actually want communities to exist, you can't all just do yourselves. But it's not just a rubbish way of live, to live. It's not true of Christians. Paul says, you have taken off your old self. The nature you are born with, which was committed to putting yourself, your feelings, you first, even if it meant being angry and losing your temper and being rude to people, disliking other people, sliding them off, swearing about them, lying to them, those list of behaviours, that might have been part of who you are as a person originally, but you took that self off. As soon as you went to Jesus and said to him, Please redeem, please remake this life. As soon as you said to Jesus, as we saw last week, hide me with you in God, bring me into that relationship of closeness. Whichever of these behaviours you would say you're just like, verse 8, anger, rage, slander, filthy language, and you're tempted to say, yeah, that's just my personality, it's what I'm like. Paul says, no, you took that off. The moment you trusted Jesus. We're going to see that all of those things come from thinking we're alone, thinking we're under threat, thinking we're all accused. But he's already said none of those things can be true of you anymore if you're a Christian. So you took off the self that could be attacked or accused or unsure. You took that self off. When you were hidden with Christ in God. Your new self 
is like something very 90s. I wonder, does anyone remember these? Global hypercolour t-shirts. Does anyone remember these? Most of you are not old enough. It's a very strange design. Uh, so when heat is applied to this t-shirt, it changes colour. So that t-shirt was green, but this person has very hot shoulders, apparently. <laughs> and it's beginning to turn yellow. I don't know who thought it was a good idea. I had a blue one that turned white. Who thought it was a good idea that you could walk around and see, oh, the white is like spreading out from your armpits to the rest of your body. How nice to see. But in a good way, the new self that Jesus has given you is like one of those t-shirts. You're totally clothed in Jesus, accepted by God. But do you see in verse 10, it says this new self is renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. It's saying you've put on this new t-shirt and every time you learn more, you see Jesus clearly, your heart and mind are set on him in some new way, that sort of ripples through your clothes. You have this new self of Jesus and the colour is slowly changing as you know more about him. If you let it happen. If you really know Jesus better, what happens to this new self you're wearing is the heat of knowing God is applied to it and it changes colour, it changes what you do. So, that's all a bit abstract, just think about it. Just think about knowing Jesus and loving him. That's the new self you've put on, hidden with Christ in God. And then you come to church or you read the Bible or you talk to a friend and you're reminded or you learn again how much you're loved by God, what he has done for you. Paul is saying, let that change your desires. As you think about it, that will renew yourself and change your behaviour more and more and more. It will, won't it? The more you know that, the calmer you'll be, the more generous you'll be, the more honest you'll be. As the heat of that truth is applied to your new self, it changes colour. And we're not doing it alone. This is a communal thing. Paul says the nature of this new self is that every Christian has it in the same way. You know, there's not a men's new self and a women's new self, a British new self and a French new self. We all have this status, this change, this difference that comes through, through Jesus. We all have it in the same way. So anything that sets up barriers between us is our old self, is the old colour. The knowledge of the new self applied, uh, the knowledge of the gospel applied to the new self will always ripple through as the colour of honesty in verse 9 and 10. Even with people who are not like us. The gospel, because we're all accepted by Jesus the same way, it has this levelling quality. We all need Jesus' forgiveness here. There is no one here for whom that's not true, which means we're all here in front of God on the same basis, which means we don't need to lie to each other about the truth about ourselves. Now, generally in British culture, fits of rage, for example, are not a thing, at least in public. Although I will say Liverpool's a bit different there. One of the things I most enjoyed about living, moving to Liverpool from down south in England is that here, people are quite happy just to like, have an argument in the street. So it's very refreshing. But anyway, generally British people don't have fits of rage. We're sort of passive aggressive. 
you know, we, we make it clear we're disapproving without saying. So we don't say, I don't like that. We say, oh, you like that. <laughs> or we don't say, you didn't do that. We say, um, did you get Ron to doing that? Passive aggressive. That's what we do. I think that fits into what Paul would include as malice, holding grudges, or even a terrible thing that goes on in the world, abuse in private. You know, people are very nice, but behind closed doors, they're terribly abusive to their families. None of those fits with knowing Jesus. But particularly for British people, I think lying is a big thing. I think I can't be really honest about my faults and feelings and history and problems. I need to tell white lies, we call them, <laughs> to protect something that I got wrong, to make sure I don't look bad. Your culture, if you're not from British culture, will be different. You can tell me about that later. But in British culture, that is what we're like. Maybe with a very small group of people who are my people, who are like me, and know me well, maybe I could be honest with them, but otherwise I must protect my reputation. It's very British. And Paul says in verse 11, no, Christ is everything. All that matters is your connection with him. And he is in all. We're all Christians, so step into the glorious harmony of honesty with people who aren't like you at all. That is the beauty of the church. So maybe you're not prone to fits of rage, but you're very prone to lying. Particularly about my sin. Particularly holding back my real self from people who aren't of my social or racial background. Well, let the knowledge of your creator renew you in his image. Together we look like the God who made us when we are honest with each other. If you will be more honest... Let the grace of Jesus in, then you will renew your behaviour in how you live. Here's the second thing. There's three things, but the first one was the longest. Security, kindness. Jesus once told a story about a man who was forgiven a huge debt who wouldn't then forgive someone a small debt. We can all see that's morally wrong, but people still do it. Don't they? People who have been forgiven a lot can still be very unforgiving. Even if you have received some sort of kindness, I think that's because you still feel insecure. So if you, someone forgives you and you end up in a good place, you still think, oh no, I couldn't forgive others because who will look after me? You feel insecure and safe. There are people who seem committed to being aggressive and nasty, constantly taking more from others, no matter how nice everyone is to them. Endless selfishness, endlessly listing what they need from others. We feel like our generosity is just constantly poured down the drain when we're dealing with them. So what's going on there? Even if we're kind to them, it doesn't seem to be transforming them. Kindness should transform them, but we need more than kindness. We need security. You know, maybe you are that person here in this church and you're thinking, yes, everybody here should be making me feel more, more secure. Everybody get on with it. 
Make me feel more secure so I can be nice. Verse 11 says, verse 12 says, you already are secure. Stop letting anyone else's behaviour disqualify. Stop excusing sin because of insecurity. You are secure. You are one of God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That is who you are. Jesus says so. Chosen by God's eternal choice, set apart and different, significant. You are dearly loved. So no, you do not need everyone else to make you feel insecure and encouraged before you change. It's as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you choose to clothe yourself with compassion to the faults of others and kindness to people who meet it and humility rather than asserting yourself and gentleness and patience. You do not need to wait until you feel safe. You are safe. You are resourced to make others feel safe. You do that because of the deep, deep love of Jesus the significance and set-apartness that you already have in the bank when you trust Jesus. It's a scandal if people who've received kindness from God are not kind to others, but it's not surprising. It's normal human behaviour. But Paul is saying someone who knows Jesus is no longer a normal human. Fighting for security and respect and significance. All that is a given. So let that ripple through your outfit. Let the heat of that knowledge of being secure come out of you as kindness and patience to others. Listen, if you hang around in this church for any length of time, you will trip up over other people's weaknesses sooner or later. I love the people here. But I include myself in this as saying, we get a lot of stuff wrong. I was going to say we try our best, but even sometimes that's not true. If you get it wrong, people will forgive you. But that is not an excuse to be horrible to them. What we're saying to you is, if you come as one of God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you can put up with the things people get wrong. In fact, that is the next thing Paul says. He says, bear with and forgive, both of those. This security leads to compassion. It leads to a lot of bearing with. Bearing with, I love that phrase. It just means there are small things that don't really matter and you can let go of them. You don't need to punish everyone else for getting those things wrong. They're significant things to you, but in the grand scheme of things, they don't matter. So just bear with them. You can do that because you're secure with Jesus. So someone says your name wrong, or they don't say hello when they should have done, or their child is noisy, or they choose a song that you don't like, or they forget to thank you for a birthday card, or they forget to send you a birthday card. Listen, the security of Jesus means you can have compassion to their weakness and basically bear with it, put up with it. Religious Christians, people who think rule keeping is very important, in my experience, they're often very critical about little things that don't really matter. But if you believe in God's grace that you're chosen and holy and loved because of Jesus, you can bear with. Bear with means not letting it affect you. 
I had the experience not that long ago where somebody came and told me they wanted to leave our church. And it was because of something someone had said in a sermon several years before. I mean, small things like that shouldn't be affecting people who are chosen and secure and loved in that way. Bearing with me and saying, oh, it was a silly mistake. It got on my nerves. I'm moving on. If you're safe with God, you don't lose anything by doing that. <laughs> Forgiveness. Well, that's for more serious things. There are more serious things that require actual forgiveness. Things people have actually done wrong. They need talking about. They need to be apologised for. And then you need to forgive. Bearing with small problems, we're not talking about sweeping actual sin under the carpet. We're talking about dealing with and then forgiving the way God does. I love the way he says, forgive the way the Lord forgave you. Because what God does when he forgives us is he never uses that sin against you. He never lets your bad behaviour form his opinion of you. If someone says sorry, then we are to forgive in that way. It's not unusual for things that I know someone has said sorry for and admitted fault in and owned to be brought up months, years later as a reason to be suspicious or cynical or angry. Sometimes that's in church life. The place this most often surfaces actually is in people's marriages. Now, of course, someone always pays the cost for forgiven, forgiving. You know, if someone does something that's really wrong against you and you forgive them, you are paying the cost of that. Nobody is saying that is an easy, you know, thing to do. There's a cost to be paid, but someone who is chosen and set apart and dearly loved has all the resources to pay that cost. Forgive in the same way God forgave us. Do not use it against someone again. And these things are all linked together, Paul says, by putting on love, adopting ourselves the way we are loved by God to each other. If we put on love, these things become an instinctive way of life, bound together by putting on love. Uh, I was reading this week about, um, uh, in the 17th century, a guy who was a Moravian Christian, which was a Christian like us, really, a Christian who thought you should be baptised as an adult. And in the 17th century, that was much more controversial. They used to catch Baptist Christians and put them in prison. Um, thankfully, that is not true now. But he was in prison and he managed to escape. And he was running across the ice. And basically it was because they'd starved him in prison. He was light and could get across this ice across a lake. And the person chasing him, the ice cracked and he fell into this freezing water. And without thinking, this Moravian Christian ran back to rescue the soldier from the water so he didn't freeze to death. And the soldier put him in handcuffs and took him back to the jail. Now, what happens that someone, their instinct, their instinct is to show compassion to someone who hates them and wants to kill them. He's put on love day by day, knowing he's chosen, loved, cared for by the God who made everything he puts it on. So his instinct is to show compassion. 
How does all of that happen? Is the last thing we see. Let peace in and let the message in. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since you were called to peace. At the Hub the other week, which is our small group ministry in the city centre, Tom, who is one of our elders and a doctor here, came to talk to us about mental health. And he talked about our internal monologue, the story you're always telling yourself. That's, you know, I hope this isn't just me. I was relieved when Tom talked about it. I was like, it's not just me. He's always talking to myself. Maybe you don't do that, in which case, have a little snooze or whatever. But I think most of us do. There's something coming out of our heart that we're always telling ourselves about our situation. And often for me, that's negative. This is hard. This is unfair. Why can't I have what that person has? Sometimes it's pride. Look at that person. That person in my life is bad and I can't forgive them. And over and over and over in my head, I'm remembering how they hurt me and despairing, how, to get, how do we get out of this? If one of those is, if that is your inner monologue, that will come out to other people. The Bible talks about self-control. We can learn to stop stuff coming out of us onto others. But in the end, Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you think, oh, I'll just think it, I'll never say it to anybody, I will just think it about them, sooner or later, it will spill out and cause all sorts of trouble. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let this amazing, comforting, warm truth about Jesus become your inner monologue. You need that to be the case if we're going to be at peace with one another. If we let our inner monologue be angry, worried, scared, that will not cause peace with others. What will come out to others is all of our tension, anger, fear. So let, Paul says, this peace of Christ rule in your heart. If we're like the child that wants to scream about going out, that we're not going out anywhere, kicking and screaming at God, focusing on everything that's wrong, obsessing over other people's faults. If you hold that monologue, that will come out to other people. It's what we're like, actually. We get to being like, actually, I want to hold on to that. I want to grip it. If I give in and trust Jesus with this, I'm losing something. You are not losing if you just let the peace of being hidden with Christ and God Rule over the stormy sea of your internal monologue. And not only will you gain peace, you will create peace wherever you are. It's a similar thing in the same way. Let the message dwell in you richly. Live in you. Let this message like come into your life and put up the wallpaper. Redecorate your life so it fits with this truth of being chosen and loved. And you know, he says, that most happens when you let other Christians teach you and then you joyfully join in with singing with other Christians. I love that. People often come to our church, I hope, and they say to me because they're interested in the Bible and we're interested in the Bible here, that's good. But there are some people who are interested in that who just don't think singing's very important. And so they stand in church like this when we're singing. 
That's it. That's the whole of Behold Our God. Those are all the noises they make. Now, Paul is saying here, joyfully singing truth is the way this gets into your heart. So, singing matters. You know the truth, isn't it? I don't know whether you've ever had the experience where you're feeling upset about something and then you come to church and start singing. You know, you manage to keep it under control. You come to church and start singing and it all just like comes out. That's the way music works. It like gets stuff into your heart. He says that's why we do it when we're together because we want the peace of Christ, the message of Christ to move in. Let the message right into the most personal, most private, most sensitive parts of you. It will happen as other Christians sing at you and you sing at them. How are these things not rules? Well, there are certain things that God has designed to overwhelm you with what Jesus has done. To set your heart or mind on the things that matter. And we're actually about to do one of them now. Communion, which is a picture of eating and drinking Jesus, feeding on him. It is the way of saying, I really want this truth about Jesus right inside me. So today, can I invite you to let him in? Let this amazing peace and truth rule over whatever is bubbling away in there. Now stop thinking about other things. Stop fighting it and saying, I just want to hold on to this. Let the truth of your life hidden with Christ in God settle over your inner monologue, whatever it is. Let the message that God loves you in this chosen, dearly loved way, right into the most hidden, most painful places in your heart. The places you hate about yourself, the darkest, most terrible things you've done. Let this peace rule there. There may be tears if you do that. There will be truth told to other people instead of lies. To hide who you are. There may be forgiveness that needs given or sought. You may be convicted of unkindness or lack of compassion, but let God tear away from your cold hands that stuff that goes with your old self. Let your new self be renewed in the image of the God who made you. Let this truth about God's grace in Jesus, let it in. Your choice today as you go out from this talk is not obey this rule or don't obey it. Do better or do worse. That is not the choice. The choice is this. Are you going to let, let this truth right into the deepest parts of you? Or are you just going to let it wash on by? Paul says, let the message dwell Richly, And if you do, you will be transformed. And if you're not a Christian, the invitation is actually the same, just to step back. The invitation is to say, let Jesus' work be for you. Let it in.
you can do it now.